You turn with me to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is the passage that we'll look at uh, this morning. One of the songs we just sang as a congregation talked about scars in our life. Uh, some scars are, don't have all that tremendous of a story behind them. Uh, PJ was walking through the house this week and walked by a garbage bag that had a broken glass in it and it cut her leg and most certainly will leave a scar. Uh, but there's nothing exciting about that story. She was walking through a kitchen uh, got cut. Many of our scars, however, have tremendous stories behind them. Uh, many of our scars, as we look at those scars, we're reminded of the events that took place that left those scars upon our body. Uh, for so many years, I don't think it's there anymore. I haven't looked in a mirror that intently in a while. You might not be able to tell that from my appearance, but uh, I've not stared in a mirror all that intently. But I used to have a scar right here uh, where my brother and some friends of mine were playing war and throwing sticks as spears and rotten pears as grenades, which let me just tell you that is uh, superb weaponry. Uh, but somebody threw the spear through the air and it stuck in my head uh, right above my right eye. Uh, and was just right out my head. Uh, still remember the laughter of my brother as he uh, almost laughed in tears and went, you look like a unicorn. Uh, blood squirting forth from my head. Um, and, and all he could get was some laughter. Um, eventually he got scared and started tending to me. But I remember that story linked to that scar. If I was to ever look intently in a mirror and see that scar above my right eye, immediately in my mind it takes me back to that. So many of us have scars on our body for a variety of reasons. Some of you have had surgeries. Some of you have had accidents. Some of you were stupid like myself and have scars from that. But whatever the scar is, you remember the events that gave you the scar. So many of us have those on our body. Many of us have those upon our souls. And oftentimes, we are reminded of the scars that are upon our souls even more so than we are the scars that are upon our body. We sang this song that mentioned the scars that we carry. Uh, scars oftentimes remind us of where we've been in life, but they also should remind us of something else. They should remind us of who has brought us through the event. Here in Romans chapter 5, we are reminded of the people we are. We are reminded that we are sinners. We are reminded that in so many ways we are not fit to stand before our God, but we are also reminded of the way that He has made it possible for us to come to Him in relationship, for us to truly submit to Him in relationship, and for us to carry on that relationship with Him. He talks about in Romans chapter 5 how we must live life in such a way that we persevere, for it is that perseverance that brings about the character that we so greatly desire and that we are called to live out in our life. So if you would look with me in the book of Romans, chapter 5, we'll begin our reading in verse 1. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom uh, we have uh, gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. You see, at just the right time, we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as though the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here in Romans chapter 5, Paul is writing about a number of concepts. And we see that he begins with this concept, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This justification by faith or through faith, having faith in God, to trust in God, to, to know that He has never once left us to walk alone, to know that He is faithful not only in the past, but in the present, and that he will be faithful in the future. That kind of faith in God is what, what inspires the relationship that we have with God. And it is inspired not only through our own life, as we reflect upon the way that we have walked in life and the scars that we have from life and him carrying us through those moments and him allowing us to overcome those moments. But in the book of Hebrews, the author says that we should even go further back than that, for we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And in their life, you see God operating. And in their life, you see God who is with them and carrying them through and is faithful to them throughout. So it is that faithfulness of God that inspires the faith that we have in God. Not only is it His faithfulness, for you can see His faithfulness in the Old Testament. You can see His faithfulness as He carries out the covenant with Israel and His people. But you see even more than that tremendous faithfulness in the Old Testament when you get to the New Testament and you see the death of Christ. For you see a God that is so faithful to his people. You see a God who loves his people so much that he is willing to allow his own son 
to be sacrificed. And this is where Paul goes. This is something that we need to be mindful of. And it should inspire us to be faithful in return to God as well. So he says, you are justified through faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. It's a small phrase in that first verse. You have peace with God. We assume that Christians have peace with God, for they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Their sins have been washed away. They have gone from being uh, red as crimson to white as snow. We assume there is peace with God, but I'll be honest with you, I don't think many people understand that there should be peace with God. I think many of us, even as Christians, live in the midst of turmoil over the life choices that we make and the scars that we have in life. I think many of us never come to an understanding of what it means to truly have peace in God. One of the uh, individuals that I loved studying in church history was Martin Luther. Martin Luther was an amazing individual. I mean, I, I, I love so many aspects of Luther's life and the way he stood up and, and the aspect of him standing up to the church there at the Diet of Worms. And there are so many aspects of his life that I appreciate. But one of the things that, that you come to understand about Luther is he struggled to have peace with God. Luther fought so many demons in his life because he was trying to discover how in the world could he have this peace. Calvin brings up his, in his Institute of Religion, and, and, and in Calvin's mind, his predestination, that whole kind of uh, a theory of salvation in some ways was to derive, to bring him some peace in his soul so that he would know and be able to confirm salvation in Christ. Although it still is mind-boggling me how he thinks his system does that, but it, it was inspired in some ways in that man. Guys, it's something that Christians struggle with all the time. Paul is saying that you should have peace with your God. We should stand before God in peace and understand that we are reconciled to Him. Not because of anything that we did, not because of something that we accomplished, but because of a gift that has been given to us and a sacrifice that has been made for us. That is a difficult thing to do, Esther. That is hard to do, to stand before God knowing that you are undeserving to stand there and yet still remain in relationship with Him. Soren Kierkegaard said that is the very aspect of faith itself. To be able to be in relationship with God when you understand that you do not deserve to be in relationship with Him, but to know that He desires you to be there anyway. To know that you have done nothing and that you can do nothing to be in that relationship. That you could never do anything in your life to deserve what He has given you makes us uncomfortable. It creates within us not a sense of peace, but maybe even more anxiety. And what Paul is saying is you should come to a place where you can find peace with your God. How do we find that peace? We've got to get beyond ourselves. We've got to come to a place in life where we come to an understanding that it is not us and there is nothing that we can do. And we've got to be all right with that because we've got to come to a place where we understand God's all right with it. See, God's not based this relationship on the fact that when he began the relationship with us, when Christ sacrificed, that then we would become perfect. God knew what the world would be even when his son was being sacrificed upon the cross. 
God understood exactly what the world would be. It would still be filled with wars. It would be filled with rumor of wars. It would be filled with natural disasters. It would be filled with sin. It would be filled with heartache. He knew all of that when his son died upon a cross. What covers us in relationship with God is the grace of God. And when you can come to understand and embrace the grace of God, then you actually can come to have some peace within your heart. And what Paul is emphasizing here is that you are covered in that grace. Listen to what he says. He says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Listen to that phrase. Into this grace in which we now stand. We think in some ways grace kind of washes over us and washes away the sins of the past. Guys, this is not some brief period in our life where God kind of washes away the sin in our life and, and, and then we come back and we get filthy again. As a kid, I kind of hated taking a bath. I don't know how many of y'all's kids hated taking a bath. Some, some of y'all enjoy I hated taking a bath. Micah hates taking a bath. I got a bright, I hadn't told PJ yet. That was my genetics. Uh, I'm pretty sure when she was a kid, she bathed all the time. But but Micah hates taking a bath. Now, if we ever get Micah in the tub, you can't get him out of the tub. I, I, I think somewhere in his tub, there's this jetted tub or something he's relaxing in. And, and I mean, it's like an hour he's in there. But taking a bath as a kid was so futile. I mean, I would get clean just to get dirty again. And and many times I got so filthy that somebody would make me take a bath and there was plenty of hours in the day for me to get filthy yet again. And they would want me to bathe yet again. It was futile. I would wash this dirt off myself only to get dirt back on me again. And some of us look at the grace of God in some ways like taking a bath. The grace of God washes away our sin. We're purified before God. And yet, as soon as we get purified before God, if you give us long enough, we get filthy again. And then here comes this grace, and it washes in over us again, and the sins are forgiven. And yet again, we become filthy, and here comes the grace yet again. And it almost becomes this kind of cyclical aspect as it is when we bathe to cleanse our outwardly body. But I want you to hear the words of Paul. Paul doesn't talk about a grace that flushes over you and wipes you clean momentarily. Paul speaks of standing in grace. Guys, there's a profound difference in that. In other words, when I am saved, when I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, it is not that these sins that I've committed to this point are washed away, and now when I sin again, I've got to come back before God, and those sins can be washed away. What Paul is saying is I stand in the grace of God. That is a powerful concept. In other words, my entire life is lived out in the grace of God. Listen to what Paul is doing in this chapter. For Paul, there are powers of dominion. There are powers that rule over us. In one aspect, what he talks about in this passage is that there's the power of sin and death, right? It reigns. In another aspect, grace reigns. So what we've got to come to understand when we want peace with God is we've got to come to an understanding that I stand in the grace of God. Not that I've been visited by the grace of God. Not that He has briefly shared it with me in my life. But that I stand in it. 
that I live in it, that it covers me, that, that it overflows me, that God, is, His grace is poured out upon me daily, momentarily, every single moment of the day, I am covered in the grace of God. It's a powerful concept, and so often we miss it. And so often there is such turmoil within our hearts and within our souls because we miss it. Guys, what reigns in our life is grace itself. What has dominion over us is God's grace. Sin and death are broken because grace now reigns. But we so often and so many times in life think what controls us and what reigns over us is sin. What reigns over us is still yet death. It has been broken. And grace now reigns within our life. Listen to what Paul says. I love this verse. He says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice with our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Listen to that kind of process, that, 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 that kind of life that we live. Not only do we celebrate this, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice because we suffer. Life is filled with suffering. Life is filled with pain. If you haven't had any suffering and pain lately, just watch out. It's coming. One great religious leader said there's a few things that we cannot avoid in life. He was not in a country that paid taxes, so he didn't know about that one. Uh, the one thing he said above all else that you cannot avoid is suffering. Suffering and pain comes. It's part of life. You cannot live life absent of suffering and pain. Death is a part of life. Sadness is a part of life. Living among humanity, in many ways, will bring about suffering. Suffering will come, and, and, and Paul says, embrace the suffering, because what suffering brings is perseverance. The ability to overcome, the ability to persevere, the ability to keep going. Guys, you never develop an aspect of perseverance unless you've been pushed to your limits. Unless you have been pushed to the very edge, you never develop perseverance. Paul says rejoice in your sufferings because it is those sufferings that will instill within you a sense of perseverance. And what does perseverance create? Perseverance creates character in you. As Christians, we are supposed to be men and women of character. Character comes through perseverance. What makes you an individual who can stand in the midst of the storms of life is that you have persevered in your life. Guys, many of us have got a lot of scars on our souls. A lot of us have scars on our bodies, but many more of us have scars on our souls. We've persevered. That perseverance, even though it was ugly, even though it was hard, even though it may have very well come very close to breaking us, it has built character within us. We've overcome. 
And if we've overcome that, then we know that we can overcome again. That is the kind of character that is built. What does character produce in us? When we develop that character that is brought about by perseverance, then hope comes about. Why? Because when we have that character, we know that we have been persevering. And we know that we can still persevere and whatever waits around the corner because we don't know what the future holds. We know that we can persevere through it because we've done it in the past. How have we done it in the past though? See, there's, there, there's something in my mind. If I know that I've done it before, I know I can do it again. This morning, Micah woke up and, and, and he didn't like the outfit that PJ had laid out for him. So she said, go in your room and pick out an outfit that you want to wear to church. And Micah was raised in Derby, Mississippi, right outside Poppaville, And the boy's got some cowboy in his soul. So every now and then, he just wakes up in the morning and he feels like he needs to be a cowboy. And he pulled his hat out. If y'all hadn't seen him this morning, he's got a cowboy hat with him. He's got his white shirt tucked in his jeans. And he pulled out his cowboy boots. And I ain't seen these boots in a while. And I'm like, what size are those boots? He's like, I don't know, Daddy, but they still fit. Me and him together worked very diligently to get that right boot on. And it finally slipped on. I mean, I was still pressing hard on the bottom of that boot. And Micah looked at me and went, Daddy, it's on. I was like, oh, okay. No wonder it wasn't going any further. And then we tried the left boot. And I couldn't get it on. I looked at him and I said, Micah, I think today's a day for tennis shoes. You can wear a hat with tennis shoes. He said, Daddy, we got the right one on. We can get the left one on. I said, I I don't know if it's going to work like that. (laughs) He said, no, we got one on. We can get the second one on. He had full confidence that that left one was going to go on. Why? Because we got the right one on. We got it on. I don't want to see the boy's toes when I take them off, but they on. Almost went to the kitchen and got butter to put the thing on. It, it It was crazy. But he knew because we had done this one, we could do this one. In life, we know that we can persevere in the future because we have persevered in the past. How have we persevered in the past? How have we made it? Those scars on our soul, how have we overcome? Some of them are deep. Some of them are large. Some of them are nasty. Some of them, if we allowed people from the outside to know that they even existed, they would be astounded that we overcame them. So the question then is, how did we overcome? And the answer is this, you have only overcome in one way. Through the power and the grace of Christ Jesus. And the power and the grace of His Spirit. It's the only way that we've persevered. It's the only way that we've overcome. It's the knowledge of knowing that we've never been left alone and we will never be left alone. It's the knowledge of understanding that we no longer live under the fear of death and sin, but we live in the glory of a world that is reigned by grace that comes from God Himself. And He says, once you get that hope, that hope does not disappoint. Once you have that hope in God, it does not disappoint. I know many of you probably have hope for things in life. You've crossed your fingers, made a wish on a shooting star, blew out a candle on a birthday cake, and many of those wishes probably have not come true in your life. I know that you have hoped for things that just have not come to reality. 
But what Paul is saying is this hope, when it is born within the heart of the Christian, is a, heart, uh, is a hope that will not disappoint. In other words, we will not be let down. And we know that for sure. Why? Because the God who saved us is faithful. I mean, think about what's in Paul's mind here as he lays out this text, as he lays out this chapter. God is willing, while yet you are still his enemies. In other words, while we are the ones at the foot of the cross screaming crucify. While we are the Roman soldier who's nailing his hands and his feet to the cross. While we are just like those who have betrayed him. No different than Judas Iscariot who kissed him upon the cheek. Just as those who have betrayed him, while we were still those. His son died upon a cross so that we might be saved. While he was being made fun of, was still able to utter the words, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And it is that forgiveness over us as sinners that has given us the grace that reigns in our life. If he was willing to sacrifice his son while we were in opposition to him, if he was willing to sacrifice his son while we were opposing him and his enemies, how much more now that we are covered in the blood of Christ will he be willing to be faithful so that we will truly come to understand the hope that exists through our God? As Paul says, we should have great confidence in this hope. And in that confidence, it should inspire peace within our hearts. Paul lays out this kind of argument at the end of chapter 5, and it's talking about what reigns in one's life. Adam comes into the world. Adam sins. Notice Paul puts the blame on Adam. There's this wonderful piece of literature called Paradise Lost that Milton slides the blame over to Eve a little bit. I mean, Eve bites of the apple. Adam then is left with this horrible choice. Do I sin and go with the woman that I love or do I forsake God that I love? And like most men, he went with the woman they loved and not his God. Um, Milton's wrong. <laughs> In the text, Adam is as guilty, if not more guilty, than Eve. And Paul doesn't even bring up Eve here. He says, Adam ate of the fruit and sinned. And in so doing, brings sin into the world. And this is the passage where they really kind of lean heavily upon this notion of original sin. And what Paul tells us is that sin is a part of our world and sin is a part of every life. And when Adam brought sin into the world, sin reigned. It didn't matter if the law was here. Before the law came, sin reigned. And when sin reigns, death reigns. And it took something to break that dominion. It took something to break apart that power that reigned in the lives of all individuals. It took something to, to take that away. Not just to wash it away momentarily, but truly to eradicate it. What had the power to do that? And Paul says the only thing that could do that is there had to be something in like manner. So just as Adam brings sin into the world and sin begins to reign in the world and sin begins to reign over humanity and then death becomes a part of the world and death reigns over humanity, something had to break it and the only thing that could break it was the death of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the life of Christ. And it is in Christ 
the morality of Christ, the perfect, perfect life that he lived, the sacrifice of his life, and the resurrection of Christ that breaks the power of sin and death and allows us to live covered in the grace of God. Guys, Paul is saying God did the work for us. There was this in the world that we could not defeat. There was this in the world that we could not overcome. Sin and death reigned in our life. So God won the victory for us through Christ and he instituted something else reigning now in our life and it is grace and grace alone. As Christians, we so often struggle with peace. We so often struggle with with coming to a place in life where we feel one with God and can truly rest in God. The only way you will ever come to a place where you can rest in God, the only way that you will ever discover the peace that He intends for you is that you learn to stand in His grace for it has been granted it has been delivered. It has been won. No longer does sin and death have any reign or any power over us, but only life and grace. If you continue to read kind of the second section, chapter 5 ties two sections together in Paul's early part of Romans here. But look at chapter 8. Chapter 8 kind of tells you how the hope will not disappoint For if you live in the grace of Christ, if you live in the grace of God, then you will find that you are more than conquerors through him who gives us that strength. You will find that neither life nor death nor any power nor any principality or anything in heaven or upon earth or anywhere in the created order can rip you from the hands of God. You will find security. You will find love. You will know faithfulness. You will know what it is to live in the grace of God. May we as Christians come to understand what peace we may have. As Christians, may we come to a place where we understand that God has won the victory. As Christians, may we be people who rejoice in our suffering. For they will teach us perseverance. And in so doing, they will develop character within us. And that character will lead to a great hope that is secure, certain, and affirmed. May we come to know what it is to be covered in the sacrifice of Christ and to live standing in His grace. Let's pray. God, we come before You this morning. We thank You for making grace available to us. Allowing us to enter that grace through faith in Your Son. Lord, we thank You that You took the power of sin and death. You shattered it. 
for death no longer has a sting. For now we only have the grace of a mighty God. May each and every day of our life be a day where we stand in that grace. May the scars of life be reminders of times where you have allowed us to overcome. And may it build within us a faith and a hope for the future that we will always overcome. We know that you have carried us this far. We know that you desire to carry us further. And one day, Lord, we have the glorious experience of being one with our Father in heaven. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for covering us with your grace. May we stand in relationship to you always. May we embrace the grace of God. And may your hope be realized in our future so that your kingdom may be built and you may be honored. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning we'll have a time of invitation. Any decisions that need to be made in a public fashion, feel free to come forward at this time. If you'll please stand.